Well, aren't you so grateful for the cross of Jesus Christ and for the miracle that's happening inside of us who have received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives? Well, good morning. It's good to be with you, church. Last weekend, I was ill. It was scheduled to preach. Sarah had surgery, kind of a significant surgery, and she's at home recovering. So join me in saying, hello, Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Yeah, thank you. That means a lot to her if I can embarrass her from 30 miles away. She loves that very much. But honey, I, I, miss, I miss her this morning. I miss her being here and uh, encouraging uh, me. She's about the only one these days anymore that will encourage me. <laughs> Last weekend, though, great, great time of celebration as John Giroux gave his life to Jesus Christ last Sunday morning, I think, and then that's uh, John and Barbie who placed their membership here last weekend. They're engaged to be married. They'll be married in May, and we get to share in that, so let's welcome them home to MCC. And then last Saturday night, Kathy Dye surrendered her life to Jesus Christ. We're so excited for Kathy and Fred, who are members here now at Memphis Christian Church. So let's welcome them. Let's welcome them home. We are just, we are just two weeks away from Fall Festival. How many of you will this be your first Fall Festival at MCC? Just give me a little bit of peek there with your hands. You are in for a treat. And for the hundred or more of you family who have committed to serve in a specific way, you know it takes all of us uh, to carry out that night. And we're so excited to have thousands, literally over a thousand now close from our community that come on campus and they eat some free chili. They'll ride some go-karts that are going to be out back this year, some other fun things that night. Of course, all of you who decorate yourselves and your cars and have trunk or treat, it's going to be a great night. So please make sure that this week and next you are uh, posting that on social media for us and that you are reaching out to your friends and your family, especially to make sure that you are here for all of that. We pray daily as a church and as a church family for opportunities like that to get to see the souls that God's awakening and calling to him. And maybe that's why you're here this weekend. You've driven past this place. Maybe it's why you're listening online today, but something caused you to just stop for once and to tune in or to be present. And I want you to know that that's God. He's reaching out to you and he's calling you because he wants you home. He wants you home with him and he wants you home with his church. Well, this weekend we turn in our Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. 1 Corinthians is back towards the back. You're going to see the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and then you get to the letters. This is the first letter to the church in Corinth written by the Apostle Paul. And this letter in verse 18, we're going to spend some time on just a couple of verses today because it's one of the most straightforward admonitions regarding our salvation. Our salvation that comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. Our salvation from sin and death. And it couldn't come at a more appropriate time in our world and in our culture today. Written by the Apostle Paul to the early church, it's written to every follower of Christ since that time. And so it's addressed to you and I today. Let's look together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I want you to underline that word 
foolishness. There's a lot of foolishness. A lot of things that we look at and say, that is so silly. And then I want you to underline that word perishing. Those who are dying, those who are outside of Christ, those who are dying spiritually. For the message of the cross of Jesus Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. What a significant statement. And I, and I want us to read that one more time and then let's go on. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is only the power of God that is saving us. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. This is the word of God. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the person? Where is the teacher? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? Can I hear an amen? amen? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. For the foolishness of God, verse 25, is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Man, we've got a lot to unpack today. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we come to this passage of Scripture, this divine revelation that supersedes any idea or philosophy of man. And boy, you know, we've got a lot of those ideas. Here, wisdom and foolishness are contrasted for us at the most important juncture, our faith in Christ and eternal salvation, both of which are bought only through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so may our ears be open to your word and may our thoughts be made captive no longer to the philosophies and wisdom of the world, but to your divine word and the power of your Holy Spirit who resides in our hearts as believers the power of God that is saving us. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Well, here in chapter one, Paul speaks specifically to an issue that was infiltrating the early church, the church at Corinth, and in many ways has infiltrated the church today. The infiltration of philosophy Man's thinking, man's ideas, man's personal wisdom over God's divine revelation, his divine revelation, his holy word as we know it today. And there's no end to this philosophy, this man's wisdom, the love of human wisdom. There's no end to it. Man has an opinion about everything. Women have two opinions about everything, but men... Mankind has an opinion about everything. I, I was thinking back this week to my early days of leadership. And, and unfortunately, it was, it was in church leadership that I saw this the first time. But we would sit in a group. I was serving as a young elder, and we would sit in a group every Sunday night for our elders meeting, and a topic would be brought to the table. And let's say it was a very, very, very important spiritual topic, of which there were many, like, should we change the light bulb in the bathroom or should we put a whole new light fixture in? 
we tabled this for the last three meetings. Let's go ahead and bring it up this way. You guys that have been in those meetings, I am so grateful that it's not that way here. Ah, my goodness, how thankful I am for that. But we would be sitting in these meetings, and I swear to you, yes, there were more serious issues like, did you know that the have has decided to date a woman who is going through a divorce, but she's not divorced yet, and all of a sudden, everyone in that group, which there were like 25 of us, is ridiculous, and every one of us would have an opinion about that, an opinion. Uh, well, I, I just don't think that's right. Well, now, you know, we could, we, could, we could overlook that if, you know, he's doing a really good job, so let's, you know what I'm talking about. We've got an opinion about everything. The problem is, is that very few of those opinions had anything to do with the divine revelation of God. And that's what we're talking about here. Man's wisdom, there's no end to it. Man has an opinion, a philosophy about everything, an opinion that's quoted on talk radio, on, on YouTube channels, that's on our news stations, that's on our talk shows. Talk, 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 talk. We've got an opinion about everything, and the problem is, is that truth is nowhere to be found in most of those opinions. But yet, it's perpetuated as truth. People buy into this stuff. They believe what's actually on fake book. And they make life decisions based on man's philosophical whatever it is, foolishness. Even in churches today, we seem to be more in line with, hey, hey, are you okay with that, Maven? Because, Maven, if you're okay with that, then, then, then I'm okay with it. You know, we're just not going to agree on that. Even though God's word says that this is what marriage looks like, even though God's word says this is what giving looks like, even though God's word says this is how we're to be structured, you know, as long as you're happy, I'll be happy, right? I'm okay, you're okay. That's man's philosophy, and it's infiltrated the church, the church at Corinth. You think, where are you coming up with all this? Well, it's right back here 2,000 years ago, right in the church of Corinth. They'd just gotten underway, and they were already split into philosophical factions over, you know what? Over who baptized who? I was baptized by Paul. That means, and remember Apostle Paul? He's the one who started this church. My baptism, I was baptized, I was baptized by Apollos. Well, my baptism's only in Jesus Christ. And so they all start splitting up, and boy, we see it today. Churches are built around these things today. Churches are built around the personality of a pastor, the approach of a pastor on certain subject matter. I, I like going to that church because he doesn't talk about that. Or I really like going to that church because, man, he, he talks about that hot button. He talks, he's not afraid to put, say something about Democrats. And I don't like him when he says something about Republicans. But, you know, he just calls it like it is. Oh, I can't go to that church because if I bring my friend and he says something about homosexuality, we better find a church where they don't talk about that. God told us it would be this way. He told us that there would come a time when man's wisdom and man's philosophy would become elevated so much so. He wrote to a young and upcoming preacher, Timothy, he said, for the time will come when people will not put up with divine revelation. 
Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of philosophers, teachers, to say what their itching ears want to hear. Well, welcome to that time. Living in the middle of it. Today's Protestant and Catholic church leaders. I'm not going to just pick on the Pope today, but listen, those of you who've got Catholic backgrounds, you need to pay attention to what's going on. Just like those of you who love Andy Stanley, you need to pay attention to what's going on. He is not his dad. Both Protestant, Catholic churches, they're both caving into culture. They are both trying to find a way to bless the union of same-sex individuals. And they say, well, as long as you don't say marriage, bishops, I I think we can find a way to bless that union. Uh, This is what's going on. This is what's going on in denominations, in churches all around us, right in our own backyard. We live in a time when the taking of unborn human life is championed and celebrated when it is a violation of God's revelation that life is to be valued and protected and nourished. And please hear me. There are people in this room who have had an abortion and I am not condemning you. God is not condemning you. There is forgiveness. There is healing. And of all people, what great champions of life that you could be because you know the pain and the destruction that this terrible myth that is being propagated by even our government, that it is your right to take the life of an unborn child. It eats you up until you find Jesus and find that relief. But yet that's man's wisdom. A few years ago, I privately counseled a great couple who was living together outside of marriage. I said, you know, I I am so glad that you were honest with me. And I'm glad that you're right here in this church. But I would not be a pastor, let alone a friend. But I would not be a pastor to you if I didn't tell you to please reconcile that relationship with God. Get married. Do relationship the right way. And you would have thought that it was hate speech. Paul takes it all the way back and he says, look, man's philosophy on these subjects, they may look, they may sound, they may feel good, but this isn't the way of God. Yes, God's plan seems foolish to the world. Just take the cross, for example. God's way seems foolish at first against the world, but it's his way that saves you. It's his way that gives you true life. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, oh, it's the power. It's the power of God. You see, the gospel seems foolish to a world that's perishing because many people's hearts have grown cold and hard. Has your heart grown cold? Has your heart become hardened to the divine revelation of God? You know, I've said it before, I believe there are very 
few true atheists. Oh, there are a lot of self-proclaimed atheists. In fact, we've had a lot of college students home. It was so good to see so many of them last night in service. But to talk to some of them and what they are facing in their classrooms. But you know, moms and dads, from an early age, uh, you, you moms especially can remember that moment when your child said those devastating words to you, right? That first time that they realized that they were not getting what they wanted and they were not happy with themselves, but they decided that if they would say these words to you, they could get to you. And those words were, I hate you, mommy. I think... I think that there comes a season in our lives, and I think that many times it happens in that adolescent, late adolescent age, when those of you who have raised your children in the church, they come to a point in their life when they look at the sinfulness of their life, and they are trying to take the desires that are welling up inside of them and trying to bring those into alignment with God's word or bring those into alignment with what their friends are allowed to do and are doing. And they say to you, I never believed in God and I certainly don't believe in him now. I submit to you that those words are only the words of a hurting heart. They are not reality for that person. Where does that come from? Many people's hearts have grown cold and hard because there is no hurt. There's no hurt like church hurt. When we become disillusioned by someone or something in the church, when we have felt rejection because we want to live our lives a certain way, but yet the church teaches that we should live this way infighting, when you, when you see the results of elders like one that I once was that sat in those meetings and became an expert about nothing and then made decisions that hurt individuals. That's when people's hearts begin to grow cold and hard. And I challenge you this morning, if your heart is hardened, if your heart is cold, recognize the difference between what man has done and what God has done. God loves you. Forgive what the church has done to you and do not exclude God because of that. The message of the cross seems foolish because some have a seared conscience. That word seared, I only like to use that word seared when I'm talking about a steak, right? When you turn up the heat and you lay that baby on there and it sizzles and it just locks in those juices. But every human being has a moral code imprinted on their hearts. And you say, look at what's going on over there in the Gaza Strip. Look what's going on in Israel. Look at all of these families that have been murdered by Assad and all of these other crazy people over there. You're telling me that they have the same moral code written on their heart as we do? Yes, they do. But the problem is, is that they have seared their hearts and their parents have trained them from a very young age to become the hateful, evil individuals that they are today. Just the same as many of us have raised our children to be an exact representation of our own hurts and our own pains and our own disappointments and our own philosophies but there is, there's a moral code written on the heart of every human 
being, and it's called our conscience. And when you first go against your conscience, every alarm goes off in your head and you feel it physically, emotionally, in every way. It will stop you in your tracks if only for a split second. But if you ignore that conscience, then you will sear your heart and the next time that conscience cries out, it will become quieter and quieter and quieter. The wisest man who ever lived, when we violate our conscience, the more we blow right past it, the quieter it gets as we continue to sin blatantly and see the cross as foolishness. Now, the wisest man who ever lived addresses this third reason why the message of the cross is foolish to those who are perishing, and that is because they value earthly knowledge over spiritual wisdom. Earthly knowledge over spiritual wisdom. Those who see the gospel message as foolish, the message of the cross is foolish, they see the Bible as outdated, even a fairy tale a book that isn't to be elevated to the heights of their own philosophy, their own book titles. They look down at the Bible because they're too educated, but there's a problem. When you begin to look at your own understanding as being superior to the one who gave you understanding, the ability to reason and to think. You're in trouble when you go to university and you get talked out of your faith by some professor who is atheist or agnostic by their own choice. The wisest man who ever lived said there is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. Instead, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. But for some, the gospel seems foolish because they value earthly knowledge over spiritual wisdom. Friends, if you reject the cross, if you reject the gospel, you are rejecting God's only means to save you, to forgive you, and to wash your sins away. You reject the cross. You reject his word. You're rejecting him. Verse 20. So where is the wise person. <laughs> Where is the teacher? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? What Paul's asking us here through Scripture is where has man's philosophy gotten you? How has godlessness advanced the world? Can anybody tell me? How has godlessness advanced us? We're, we're more advanced today in our morality, right? We've, we've got laws for everything, right? We're, we're so much better off. Where, where, where is it? We've actually become more selfish and more reckless and more immoral than we've ever been. We're the more educated. We're more educated than any previous generation, yet we are more confused, than any previous generation. We have more means of helping each other than we ever had before. My goodness, I could light up a uh, help me page on the fake book and I could retire next week. But yet we are more selfish as a people. 
We have more psychology. We have more insight into the mind. Yet there's more crime and anxiety and depression than there's ever been in our history. The wisdom of the world is certainly showing itself foolish today. We have some of the most learned scholars and physicians and philosophers telling us that parents can no longer tell if a biological male is a male or a female. You, you can't tell. You can't tell that a penis belongs on a male and a vagina belongs on a woman. That, that's what the most learned, the most educated of our world is telling us today. Has that gotten us someplace besides confused? We have scientists and physicians telling us to do things that have been proven ineffective by their own studies, and yet they keep telling you to do these things. Have we improved that much? Human wisdom has not transformed us. It has simply provided more ways to excuse our foolish human behavior. That's what we've gotten ourselves. Some who speak against God's word, they look at the book of Judges. You remember the book of Judges? It's a fun read, right? Over and over, all of this just murder and death and one minute they loved God, the next three minutes they hated him just over and over and over again. And, and people who question God, they look at that and say, if that's the kind of God that you serve, well, well why would I want to serve him? But they miss the whole point of the book of Judges. The whole book of Judges is about what man's life, what the world looks like when God is not our king. It's a picture of today, my friends. The very last verse in Judges chapter 21, verse 25, sums it all up. In those days, Israel, God's people, had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. The United States today does not want Jesus as king. We've made it clear. We've rejected him. We don't have a government that fears God. When they say, God bless America, I cringe. Why would he? We don't want a king. We don't want to have, we want to have what seems right to us. We're just fine as our own king. And so just like the book of Judges, the end result is chaos and madness. And that's what life looks like without the foolishness of the cross. Contrast man's philosophy with God's revelation. Scripture, God's revelation, is the blueprint for which life, life to the full, can be had. The cross, when faith applied, changes lives. I, I want you to think about this. Moved by the perfection of his love, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, he came. He came to rescue man. And his plan for rescuing man wasn't with an army. It wasn't by force. His plan was is that he would come and he would live according to God's word, down to the very detail. He would fulfill every law and every command that the Old Testament could come up with. 
he would fulfill it all only so he could take all of our mistakes, all of our godless philosophy, all of our thoughts, all of our ideas, all of our actions, he could take all of that and he could feel the pain of it. The pain that you and I deserve to carry for all of eternity that's rightfully ours. He willingly took it all and he took it to a cross that he did not deserve, but you and I deserved. Because you see, the thing that makes the cross stand out the thing that makes the cross something that people do not want to talk about, that make it seem so foolish, is that the cross and what happened on that cross with Jesus Christ is a reflection of what living by man's philosophy does. It's what sin looks like. Sin that we think is just a moment's decision, that we think affects only us. That is the picture of what true sin is, as grotesque, as hurtful, as destructing. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. You see, the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross washes our sin away. I've said it before, but those words today, they should come back to our mind when God, Jesus Christ was on that cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know why he said that? Not because God was cruel or mean, but because of the sin that Jesus Christ physically, emotionally, and spiritually bore for us on the cross. That is the picture of what sin does. It separates us from God. And in that moment, Jesus Christ felt a pain that God never wants any of you to feel. And that is what moment before death feels like when there is no God, when there is no hope. And that's how alone and that is how destroyed Jesus Christ felt because of your sin and mine. He took that pain for us only so that our bodies would not and our minds would not have to endure that separation. Separation not just for a moment, but it's a separation for all eternity because once we have passed, we face only judgment. There is no going back. There is no second chance. When you think of Adam and Eve all the way back in the beginning of the Garden of Eden, what, what do you think of? I asked Leo last night, and he said something about fig tree branches or leaves. Uh, his, his mind was obviously someplace else. He said, I'm ready for you this morning. I said, well, I'm going to change the question. But when you think... When you think of Adam and Eve back in the perfection of the Garden of Eden, what, what is it that you think of? Well, we think of that one tree, right? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But there were two trees that were specifically mentioned. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. 
Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had I'd made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve were presented with a choice. You remember the choice. The choice was to listen to God. And God would have been so pleased for them to continue to eat from that tree of life and to live forever, to enjoy every day in his presence just as they had so far. He said, eat from this tree and things are gonna be great for you, but you eat from this tree and you're in trouble. Things are not gonna go as you had hoped. But man decided what? The very first man and his wife decided that they knew better than God. And it's very interesting to me the way these trees were named because it's the same choice that you and I make every day and we still make the wrong choice. Adam and Eve chose to eat from what tree? The tree of man's wisdom. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil believing that they would be like they would be like God. And from that moment on, sin and death entered the picture, and man cannot escape it without Jesus Christ and the foolishness of that cross right there. Man could have continued to have eaten from that tree of life and lived forever, yet man in that moment declared, I want to be my own God, I know better. And when you and I cling to the ways and the knowledge and the thinking of this world and we forsake the tree of life, the way of God, his divine revelation, it's a picture of what's happening today all around the world. And in so doing, we crown ourselves the God of our own destiny. God made his message foolish on purpose. God made this message of the cross foolish on purpose because the only way to reach him is the opposite of being our own God. The only way to reach him is through humility, repentance, and faith. It's the opposite of man's philosophy. Man's idea today, I want. I don't need anyone to tell me what to do or how to do it. Help, absolutely not. But God's way, God's way is that we humble ourselves and we say, God, God, I am unable. I'm unable to save myself. I need you. I need a savior. Humbly, I come before you. Will you, will you 
save me. You know what Jesus would do when he would give an invitation to follow him? He would look out at that crowd and Jesus drew quite a crowd every place that he went. But he would look out at the crowd and he would be like, okay, so you, you want to follow me? You want to follow me? The last will be first and the first will be last. Uh, you see that cross over there that's got your name on it? I, I want you to pick that up and I want you to follow me. You know what the cross means, don't you? The cross means that you're going to die to yourself. You're not going to be king, but I'm, I'm going to be king. I know you've got a lot of great ideas about how life should be and a, a lot of desires, but you're going to trust my desires. I'll save you, but I'm king, not you. And the crowds that preachers love to have around them would quickly, quickly disperse. And the only ones that would be left were those who wanted to truly follow him. God loves you. And God will always love you. It doesn't matter how far off the trail you've gone. It doesn't matter how far into man's philosophy that you have been sucked in. It doesn't matter. What matters is your decision to love God back. Jesus said, if you love me, then you'll obey my commands. The power of the cross, when applied, kills sin it defeats hell. It delivers heaven. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, to those who follow him, it's the power of God that transforms all of those mistakes, that transforms all of those choices into something beautiful here, and for an eternity where we'll be together with him. Last night while we were worshiping here, Missy St. John lay next to her husband Carrie in the bed who took his last breath. Do you think in that moment the philosophies of man that are all over the news today you think those mattered a bit to her? I'll tell you what mattered to her was the foolishness of the cross and the reality that while Carrie took his last breath as a young man, just diagnosed a couple weeks ago with cancer, <laughs> been a husband just a few short years, <laughs> a father to three boys, do you think any of that mattered? Do you think the cross looked foolish to her? To her, it was the power. It was the power of God saving and restoring and regenerating Carrie to know that in his next breath that he was alive and that he was whole and that he's before God and that his seat at that table's been filled and that there's a seat waiting for her where they'll be able to pick back up and keep going one day. 
a friend of mine who sat through the night with them who's here today. He said, I'm just trying to, trying to wrestle with all of this. You know, how do you process all of this? You're around it all the time. And I simply said, you know what I, I do, how I use that is I use it as an opportunity to reset. Every time I'm with one of you or every time I'm at someone's home that I'm welcomed into to watch them pass from this life to the next, I go home and I reevaluate myself as a daddy, as a husband, as a man of God. And I realize that what I did five minutes ago is in the past. And what I'm going to do from this moment forward is what matters. I am so grateful for those moments. Without them, I would be quite foolish. Don't you let the foolishness continue. Come and know the power. Come and know the one who makes all of those things that seem so important today so small as he provides you the way to truly live. Stand and let's pray. Father, thank you. The words of the Apostle Paul and your word this revelation from you, the message of the cross, it seems so foolish until we stand at the foot of it and we profess you as Savior, Lord of our lives. That has come through the I pray for those who've heard your voice through this scripture today, that they'll surrender to you for those surrendered that will celebrate the life that you've opened the way for us to have. Thank you for, for your patience with us that you would want none of us to perish. We love you, Father. And it's in the name of one who hung on that cross for us, whose blood, whose blood heals us and transforms us today because he lives of Jesus that we pray.